Preferred Capital Funding presents the Result Podcast, a podcast where trial lawyers share a recent verdict or settlement and discuss how they achieved the result. And now a few words from Jason Abraham of Hupie and Abraham about how Preferred Capital has helped him and his clients. Hi, Jason Abraham here from Hupie and Abraham. I've had the pleasure of representing over 70,000 people in our career in automobile accidents, motorcycle accidents and the like. And I have found preferred capital funding to be so beneficial to our clients when they have a loan issue, especially here in Wisconsin with the change in the law that would allow these loans to be discoverable and individual actions and insurance companies and their lawyers even trying to bring in the loan company as a party to the lawsuit. With the loans by preferred capital funding, we do not have to list them in discovery. There are no issues that they're going to be brought into the cases. Their staff is easy to deal with. And so I would highly recommend preferred capital funding to your clients if they need a loan. Today, the Result Podcast is happy to welcome attorney Chris Hurley of Hurley, McKenna & Mertz, headquartered in Chicago, Illinois. Chris founded the firm in 1992 and has since had numerous multi-million dollar verdicts and settlements, both in Illinois and around the country. A recent past president of the Illinois Trial Lawyer Association, Chris remains dedicated to improving the legal community through education, as can be seen by him the time he spent serving as president of the Alumni Board of Governors of Loyola University of Chicago Law School. He continues today representing those who are wrongfully injured. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, with the result, we always start at the end. So, Chris, can you share with us what the monetary result of the case we'll be discussing today? It was $10 million. Walk us through the details of the case. Well, uh, it's a, a, I'll try and make it as uh, short as I can. But the this woman came to me uh, year, about 10 years before we got that result. And she said that she went to her doctor after having one child. And her first child was born uh, with a condition called Angelman syndrome. And she went to the doctor because she was afraid it was a genetic condition, which if uh, is something she was a carrier for, she would have another child with that. So this geneticist that she went to performed a battery of tests, which were designed to um, determine whether she had the genetic markers for this uh, so that she was at risk for having another baby like this. Mm-hmm. And just, just to go back, Angelman syndrome is a profoundly disabling uh, genetic disorder, which renders the child essentially completely uh, helpless uh, in terms of brain function. But the, the, the boy in this case grows to a normal size. And in his particular case, he was growing to be quite a big child. And the problem with the condition is that he basically was a, uh, he had the mind of a, of a two-year-old in the body of a, of a middle linebacker as wow. he grew. And so the, these, these particular, this, this, this disorder makes them particularly dependent on needing a lot of care and so uh, they have to be watched constantly or they just, uh, they can literally destroy the house and they, and you know, they can set fires and they're just, they're very, they just are very needy in terms of the amount of care they have to have. And so, you know, for good reason, 
she didn't want to have another child with this serious problem. So she went to the geneticist and he ran this series of tests. And then uh, she called him uh, about the results and he gave her a verbal, yeah, you're good to go. And um, uh, she's, she took that as a positive, but then because she was being careful, she went to another geneticist and she said, Hey, is this okay? Is this a good, you know, is this a good green light? And that gen geneticist said, Oh, well, as long as he did those tests, yeah, it's fine. You're good to go. Mm -hmm. And so sure enough, she went and had another baby and sure enough, that baby was born with Angelman syndrome. And uh, so obviously she was devastated, but she thought, well, I did all of the required tests. So this just must be some sort of a fluke. Um, so she started to try to contact the doctors to get her test results so she could have it actually studied at the University of Chicago because it's such an unusual thing to have happened. And they gave her the runaround and they gave her the runaround and the runaround and the runaround. And so finally she came to us and we went and found, because uh, you know, the doctors were not being responsive. And we went and actually tracked down the lab that would have done the test, which was down at Baylor in Texas. And we got the records from there. And what it showed was in fact that the test when it was run and she was given the green light really was a red light test. She never, she never should have been told to have another uh, a child uh, without, uh, you know, because she was very likely to have another baby with Angelman's, which she did. So um, now that we were in Illinois at the time, and so the, this is a case known as a wrongful birth case. And under these circumstances, the law in Illinois was very uncertain at this time. And it wasn't really clear what her damages could be because there was case law that basically said that you could only get money for supporting such a child up until the child was age 18. And, you know, this kid was already, uh, you know, which, which would just be a fraction of the amount of money you would need to support the child because he mm -hmm. is going to live until he's in his seventies. He has a normal life expectancy. So cutting him off at age 18 essentially means that he has to go live, you know, in a state home or, or, you know, you dump the cost of the, of the care for the child on the state. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so adding to this complicating factor is the fact that the, why, the woman's husband was not cooperating with her in any way and was not supporting her in any way. So she'd been left alone with these uh, two babies or, you know, they're boys now and they're, and they're big and they're strong and they're destructive. And literally uh, she was left alone with them and was desperate for money. So we were in a situation where we had to help her. And the only way we could figure out to do it was to uh, settle with the first doctor who had given her, who had done the correct testing, but had given her the wrong result. Mm -hmm. And we settled for what would be the full value of the case at that point in Illinois history as the law was on the books, which meant we settled for the full amount they would be liable for to pay for the boy's 
upbringing up till age 18, which was about $3 million. Mm -hmm. Then we said to the second defendant who's, who gave the green light without, without actually looking at the test result, we said, hey, why don't you chip in on this settlement and you know, give these people a decent, uh, decent justice? And they said, no, why don't you pound sand? So, <laughs> so we're like, so leaving us with no choice, uh, we said, okay, why don't we try to change the law in Illinois? So we uh, took the first settlement, the three million, and that got her over the hump. I mean, it was it allowed her to have a decent home, and enough help to take care of the boys, you know, even with an absent husband. And then we said, why don't we uh, go off after this other defendant? So I basically begged the defense lawyer to make a motion for summary judgment against me. And it took me, it took me, you know how that goes. It took about a year of them billing and doing whatever before they finally made the motion. They made the motion and I, you know, I basically walked into the judge and I said, you know, judge, I think you should grant this because <laughs> I wanted it to go up on appeal so I could try to change the law and clarify the law as to, as to what it should be. So sure enough, the judge uh, granted the motion for summary judgment against us. We appealed it to the Illinois Appellate Court, and we won on both uh, avenues in the Appellate Court. One was uh, not only do we get to recover for the boy's damages all the way until his life expectancy, uh, but also the parents get money for pain and suffering for having gone through this. Mm -hmm. So then I'm like, okay, well, that's that was good. But then they petitioned to the Illinois Supreme Court on both issues. And it eventually went down there and we argued it in front of the uh, Illinois Supreme Court. And the final decision was a kind of a, uh, a Solomon uh, split the baby decision where they said, we're not gonna allow you to recover uh, economic damages beyond the age of 18 but we are going to allow the parents to recover for the uh, emotional distress and the pain and suffering of having to raise uh, two boys with this condition. And so the result of that was um, that the defendant that told us to pound sand who could have gotten out for a very reasonable sum back you know, in the day ended up paying another $7 million at that point. Uh, settle, which, which uh, I'll have to say changed uh, her life and made it so she doesn't have to worry about money anymore. And she's able to care for her boys who she loves dearly. And she care and she spent so much time with them. But anyway, it's a reported decision is called Clark versus uh, Children's Memorial. And um, there's also some interesting video footage about the uh, about that case on our on our website at hurley-law.com. Uh, Chris, in a, when you're dealing with a case like that, what was your big, like, what was the biggest thing you took away? What was the most tangible thing you learned in going along that process? Well, I have to say that, um, you know, you, you, a lot of lawyers might have said, oh my God, because it took 10 years to get to the end. A lot of uh -huh. lawyers might have said, oh, my God, this is a 10-year endeavor, and there's so much risk associated with it. But the way 
uh, we looked at it and the way I continue to look at it is, is that, you know, she, she desperately needed help and, uh, you know, we, you know, we had to do it for her. I mean, we just couldn't, uh, you know, we couldn't just set this woman adrift uh, in, under these circumstances. And so, um, you know, it just, it's one of those situations where doing the right thing because it is the right thing ends up not only helping the client, but, you know, we did well on it financially as well. Yeah. And help the community at large while you're at it. Yeah. The, uh, what, how did the defense approach it in both cases? Well, I, the initial, it was kind of interesting They we had the first doctor dead to rights. I mean, he was, uh, he had no defense, but the problem was the law at the time, uh, limited the amount of damages you could get. And, mm-hmm. you know, this woman was not in a position to take risks. She had to have money then. And the, you know, you know, you know, if, if I had the same, if I had the case law that we've since created in my hand at that time, there's no way we would have settled for $3 million, not a chance, Mm -hmm. but she had to have money. And so it was the right thing to do to get that for her so that she could care for the boys uh, at a basic level. Then, um, you know, the second, the second lawyer uh, really didn't think of it very well at all because for a small settlement amount that would have sweetened the pot for my client and made it, you know, a little better, they could have eliminated just a boatload of risk, but they just thought, well, no, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll win in the appellate court, even though, um, you know, just the, the equities of the case would make any judge, any jurors, you know, guts, uh, you know, just, it's just heart wrenching. Uh, stuff so that they're taking a big chance to, you know, uh, allow that case to be decided by, uh, by, by anyone. They should have settled for something uh, less, but sometimes they, I don't know. Sometimes I think they, uh, they forget that human beings administer justice in our system. And when you do that, you put yourself at risk. Well, I can also say that in my 14, 15 years of dealing with trial lawyers, you may be the first I've ever heard say that we were asking and begging for them to give us summary judgment. Uh, <laughs> well, it, yeah, it was, it, you, you honestly, you're absolutely right. I've never done it before or since, but it was the right way to go because it, we had to get a decision that, that got us a better shot at, at a better recovery. So that was the fastest way to get there. For all of the other attorneys that listen uh, to the podcast, what do you think, what can they learn from the outside looking in from handling something like this and the, the time that it took, the amount of effort and money that it took, what what is the biggest thing you think they should take away from this case? Well, you have to believe in your client. Um, it has to be somebody you're willing to go to the mat for and you're willing to lose for because you don't win them all. And uh, when, uh, you know, if, if you're working for somebody who you don't like yourself, it's not likely anybody else is going to like them either. So, you know, when I when I see a client like this, that's that's so deserving and so uh, gracious and so giving of her children to her children, you know, I just can't, uh, you know, we just can't let her uh, go without uh, representation. And I, so, I guess I guess my point is is just do the right thing every day, and good things happen.
Chris, is there anything we missed as we went along this case? Oh, I, that's basically the short story. You know, like I say, though, there's very interesting uh, uh, videos about it on my website, which uh, I've shown it at uh, Illinois trial lawyers uh, uh, convention meetings before. It, it's it, it's well received because it's very inspirational. So people should check it out. Can you give the website one more time? Uh, yeah, www.hurleylaw.com. Uh, Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you for being on the podcast. You bet. Thanks for having me.